0: So, we're um, having a wonderful time of worship, and uh, I started thinking about the song from The Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime. <laughs> Anybody else? Just me? Probably just me. Um, has nothing to do with worship, has nothing to do with this healing, but it does have something to do with with what we're going to be diving into. And it's this line of, of, you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack, you may find yourself in another part of the world. You may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. You may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, and you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Uh, (laughs) Many of the days. No, I'm not going to do it. Um, But there's something about this idea of an unexamined life. I got to bring you all back. Come back. Come back. Sorry. That wasn't even in my notes. This is just as things unfold this morning. There's this this thing about that song, though, which calls me to, to remember that we don't want to live unexamined lives. How did I get here? How did we get here? Why do we do the things that we do? And, and that's really important for us. Both of my girls had their stage of asking why. Those of us who are parents, those of you who have, who have little ones... This is something to look forward to, not look forward to. Um, It's a very persistent question with young minds, very persistent. And even after they outgrew it, like there's this real stage of development where they're asking why, but, but my girls, even after they graduated from that development, they still did it just to harass me <laughs> just for fun it would be like you know hey dad why are the trees tall and i say you know well, they, they grow tall so that the sunlight can get to their leaves why because their leaves need sunlight to make tree food why because they need food just like you and i do why because we use our energy up and we need to make more. Why? Because the universe follows certain rules and matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change forms. Why? Because God designed it that way. <laughs> and, and really, it took me to this idea of realizing, and I, I do mean this as a deep thought, right? That if we ask why long enough, we end up with God. And I I really do believe that. And I think that that's a profound thing to realize is that the more that we dig into the why, the why, 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 we will see the face of the creator because that's the rationale behind everything is that he is there. So yes, why will eventually us back to God? We did last week, this yearly examine, I encourage you to do this. It's on the uh, back table there. If you weren't with us last week. Um, What we did as a group was helpful, but it's not necessary. You can grab that and work your way through it. It's meant to be a slow, I won't know if I'll say luxurious, but it's a a very thoughtful exercise of where we were in the past year and how we got to here. And that idea of examination is, is really important because I don't think we want to live an unexamined life. I I just don't see much value in things that, that we can't defend, that we don't understand why we're doing certain things. And there's cultural reasons why we do certain things. There's personality reasons why we do certain things, of course. But do we even understand ourselves? When we do discipleship, one of the first things that I do is ask, you know, do you understand why you're doing what you're doing and why you're not doing the things that you're not? Do you know why you feel the way that you do whenever things happen? Can you examine yourself enough to say, I even understand how I got to this place? Uh, I've been frustrated with the state of, of the church, not necessarily our church, but yes, our church. <laughs> I, I, I think that the church at large is just, it's kind of been stuck in a bit of a rut. And one of the things that I loved about doing a new church plant and, and the things that, that came up with COVID and I had took a sabbatical for about six months and it gave this opportunity to be able to dream big about doing things differently from the ground up, like looking at all the practices that we do and saying, why is this the mechanisms that we use? Why do we do this? Why do we have the chairs facing here why do we have a bit of a stage? You know, why are there microphones involved? What, you know, why, why do we do anything that we do? Why do we have uh, almost a prescripted like, you know, we give announcements, then we sing a few songs, and then we give a sermon, you know, why do we do these things? Could we do things differently to give people an insight to the gospel in a way that they haven't seen before? What would that look like? See, the, the thing is, I don't think there's a worldly paradigm that matches the church perfectly well. And people try to put them on there. What I mean by that is people say like, oh, the church is like a school. And if you think that the church is like a school, then why do you come? To learn. Then what what we're putting our hope in is that there will be enough knowledge transferred, that that knowledge will be the thing that either saves you or gives you insight, or that knowledge is the thing that you're after, right? Or people say the church is like a hospital, Right. Well, then what does that mean? Well, that means we're coming here really probably for ministry time, right? Because what we're expecting, what we're hoping is that God's power is going to be sufficient to heal me, to take me out of this brokenness, to to bring me to a place where I'm ready to do it again. Or we say we're like a sports team right? Then we got a coach and we got cheerleaders. And by the way, I'm not advocating for any of these metaphors. This is just the way we approach things, right? And then it's all about team Jesus. And I talked about that a little bit before and how much I despise that metaphor because we get an us versus them mentality and we want to rah-rah, you know, cheer the troops on, make sure that we're ready to do these things. I don't think that any of these really describe the community of saints because we're taking notes from the world and trying to figure out what we can do in the kingdom to look like those things that we see in the world. And I was thinking about what, what do we have in culture at all that looks like this at all? I was thinking about a farmer's market, you know, like you can go to a farmer's market and you can go to all the different shops and find those things. I'm like, well, if we had spiritual gifts on display, you need a little bit of prophetic. You need the, the healing, you know, we could have those things around here. It wouldn't work well. It would be a, a terrible mess. But that idea of taste and see is something that I found really beautiful. The model breaks down, but I think that the church as a school model breaks down as well. We have this uniquely modern and uniquely American church phenomenon that we really engage in on most days here. We did a little bit of something different here. I really appreciate that that Ethan did this, that we stopped worshiping and we sat in silence. And that calls to mind what the Quakers do. And the Quakers have this, this really frustrating and and almost boring habit of Sitting in silence until the Lord speaks. And that's their service. And they sit in silence and they wait. And it can get awkward and slow. And nobody knows what's going to happen. And everybody's uncomfortable except for the Quakers. <laughs> and then somebody speaks. And then they discern together. Our Catholic brothers and sisters have confession, and the Eucharist is pretty central. I, I actually pulled the synopsis of, of just the introductory rites for a Catholic service. Many of us actually probably come from, I'll speak for myself, a, a Catholic background or, or Catholic adjacent, and and, and this is something that, that we're pretty familiar with, but for those who grew up maybe without this, it is, I will tell you, foreign from what we do here on a Sunday. The Mass begins with the entrance uh, chant or song. The celebrant and the other ministers enter in procession and reverence the altar with a bow and or a kiss. The altar is a symbol of Christ at the heart of the assembly and so deserves the special reverence. All make the sign of the cross and the celebrant extends a greeting to the gathered people in words taken from scripture. The penitential act follows the greeting. At the very beginning of the mass, the faithful recall their sins and place their trust in God's abiding mercy. The penitential act includes the Kyrie eleison, a Greek phrase meaning Lord have mercy. This litany recalls God's merciful actions throughout history. On Sundays, especially in Easter time, in place of the customary penitential act, from time to time the blessing and sprinkling of water to recall baptism may take place. On Sundays, solemnities and feasts, the glory follows the penitential act. The glory begins by echoing the proclamation of the angels at the birth of Christ. Glory to God in the highest. In this ancient hymn, the gathered assembly joins the heavenly choirs in offering praise and adoration to the Father and Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The the introductory rites conclude with an opening prayer called the Collect. The celebrant invites the gathered assembly to pray and after a brief silence proclaims the prayer of the day. The Collect gathers the prayers of all into one and disposes all to hear the word of God in the context of the celebration. I want to highlight that is valid church. That is valid church. Everything done in that is valid church. This is less foreign to me, maybe than a pastor flying in on a wire to some rock band in the background, which also happens in some uh, American churches. Our our more liturgical siblings have a, a set menu of scripture set in advance year round. Our more free form family, you don't know what you get any time. It could be orthodox. It could be heretical. If you go down the road here just a a little bit, and I mean this very literally from where we're at right now, there's churches where worship and the word are so entwined that preaching is a song and the music never stops. It's wonderful to experience. I could not keep a thought in my head (laughs) if Ethan was up here playing the entire time. It looks so foreign to us, and what we do often looks so foreign to them. Are we all a part of the same kingdom or are we not? Do we have the same head or do we not? And really, this is not to endorse what we do or what they do. It's to make us say, really, why do we do what we do? Is it an examined practice? Do we understand the value of why we choose, and it is a choice, to do what we do? What is the value of this? What's the value of saying no to ritual? Is it to say that we really want to be engaged with the Holy Spirit? Why do we not use written prayers all the time? Is there value to that? Is there intentionality to that? Or are we just copying the notes of the people closest to us? And I want to make sure that we live an examined life. How many of you have ever had what you would call an ecstatic moment? Do you know what I mean by this? This is like you've encountered God in some way that is supernatural, that, 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 that causes you to think, oh, this is real. This is something beyond a human experience that I have just encountered, just show of hands, kind of what I would expect. That is nearly everybody, (laughs) maybe more than I expected. How many of you in those ecstatic moments thinks, dang, I need to sit down and listen to Josh talk for 45 minutes right now? (laughs) Jim, (laughs) I appreciate that, Jim. That's more than I expected, right? Right. You have an ecstatic experience with the creator of heaven and earth, and you want to go to church and listen to a 45-minute a sermon because of that? It, it doesn't necessarily line up, right? And by the way, that's what I expected. I'm not offended. <laughs> we have something awe-inspiring, something beyond ourselves. So, why do we preach? if that's one of the things that stirs the people of God, if that's something that awakens our soul, if that's something that that is like a central part of why we have become followers of Christ, why do we preach? If it's ego-driven, if it's opinion-based, it's not going to be preaching. It's going to be something else. We've been talking about uh, loving like Jesus for a while, and and I didn't even get to to all the reasons that I I think that we need to to talk about that, Um, because we could talk about how bold it is, how transformative the love of God is, how crazy, how reckless, how costly. And there's this famous quote, and, and you've probably heard this before, right? Preach the gospel always when necessary, use words, Right? So, what does it even mean when we're preaching? What does it even mean to be at the, at the place where we say, I want to express the truth of the gospel in a way that lines up with the hope and experience of the people of God, right? What we're doing on any given Sunday, is it actually preaching or is it something preaching adjacent? What is the value of us spending our time and using our words to elucidate this, this whole ecstatic experience or, or what the Lord is saying to his people at any given moment. People either love or hate that quote because it's, it's attributed to Francis of Assisi, maybe correctly, maybe incorrectly, but it, it really points to this whole divide that's been the church really kind of forever, faith by words or faith by deeds, right? And if you've been around me for a while, you know that I don't think that that's actually a good debate at all because the answer is both. Like, you, how could you possibly have that divide? You know, we have to say, we have to have the truth and we have to live out the truth. Like, both of those things have to be together all the time. It's a false choice. When I came back from my sabbatical, I, I tried to preach uh, using only stories and questions. It was horrible. <laughs> but that's how Jesus did it. And the reason that, that it was abandoned was because, you know, it was, it was a wonderful exercise, I think, at, at me trying to not draw conclusions, trying to trust the Holy Spirit to draw these things. But it highlighted something to me. We don't have the biblical literacy that I think that we should. And that, that take that as a judgment if you want or, or, or not. We don't have the biblical literacy that I think we should. And so, sometimes it, it just it leads to more questions, and we don't have the forum then to answer those questions or to address them in a, in a really good and healthy way. So, you can't expect somebody who hasn't been exposed to things to, to be able to draw these conclusions in a way that's honoring the Lord when they don't even know where they're starting from. This is one of the reasons, by the way, why we have Adult Sunday School. Quick plug, 8.30 on Sundays back in the in the nursery. Um, it's a great experience, a great place to come and to begin to say, we need to understand things better because these, this experience I had, this ecstatic experience raised so many questions. What do I do with it? Are we trying to replicate that? Or are we trying to understand that? Are we trying to encourage others towards that? I have no paradigm. I have no way of thinking about this. It doesn't fit the school. It doesn't fit the hospital. It doesn't, what do I do with this experience that I had? Well, that's hopefully what we're about. Sometimes, as a church, are we just a two thousand plus year running book club? No, but in some ways, yes. (laughs) You know, we often use the Great Commission as a as a starting point to talk about preaching. This is Matthew twenty-eight, starting in verse sixteen. to the very end of the age. Discerning people have been looking at this and thinking, well, maybe we're not doing enough disciple-making. We're, we're, we're doing this evangelizing. We're, we're trying to make converts and, and not disciples. And, and that's kind of been a, a big thinking in, in, the, in the church recently. Like, Let's try to be about discipleship-making rather than convert-making. Let, let's not worry about butts and seats, as they say, and let, let's actually try to make disciples. And that's good. And you definitely see teaching and commanding in there. Is preaching teaching like we said? Not always, but it is in part. Because sometimes we need a bit of teaching to get us on the same page to start. But even still, is it telling you what to do when we're talking about preaching? Why do we do this thing? Why, why do we spend so many words and thoughts and actions? I spend a lot of time every week crafting these messages. For what, it, for what purpose? For what reason? I know some people fall asleep. I get it. <laughs> I know sometimes people don't understand what I say. Again, I get it, but we try. Is it to convict? Is it to inform? Is it to encourage? The analogy that I hear a lot is that it's a meal. It's food. It's something that gets us from one week to the next. It, it, you, know, you, you eat a lot of meals and they're not always memorable, right? But you're alive because of them. Can you tell me what you had five years ago? No, but I know you ate because you're here. And that's often the way that we think about this. We need exposure to the word of God. We, we need to engage with it because it's what keeps us alive. It's what keeps us going. Sometimes we use, instead of, of that Great Commission passage in Matthew, we, we use the same parallel in Mark sixteen fifteen. I wanted to pull this up because it actually uses the word preach. It doesn't use that word command and, and, and teach. It says it this way. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name they will drive out demons they will speak in new tongues they will pick up snakes with their hands and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well now if we're talking about teaching let me tell you that this is a debated portion of Scripture. We found earlier and earlier versions of Mark, and this part's not included. Was it added later? Were the earliest works works in progress? We don't really know, but there's an asterisk in most of your Bibles whenever you read this part saying, you know, the earliest manuscripts we have don't have that. I like it because it uses that word preach, and that word preach is a very interesting word. It's literally translated from the, the, the Greek for proclaim, with an emphasis on persuasion. The word is also used as, as herald. And it's a weird, weird word for us. Weird word is hard to say. It's a weird word for us because we don't really have heralds anymore. Herald is what we call newspapers because that's like the Miami Herald. Like, like it, It's this idea of somebody just proclaiming something, but what does it mean? Well, it was for a kingdom. It was for a king, a herald who's proclaiming news and trying to tell you what was going to happen because of it it matters. I also love that that it says, preach the gospel to all creation. It's kind of a bold, bold call. Not to all people even, it says to all creation. I love that because I do feel like we are called to reform, to reshape the world, the systems, the, the powers, the, the created earth itself in the image of all that is good and all of the blessing that God has for us. I think it was really wonderful when Ethan was doing that earlier during worship. It's an idea of saying, God's eyes are on you and his goodwill is towards you. That's the good news. The good news is God sees where we're at and doesn't say, ooh, that's going to be tough. Ooh, I, 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 I'll, just, I'll just give you a little nudge and be like, keep your chin up, soldier. And like, here, here we go. But the Lord sees us and can change things because of who he is. Both of those passages in Matthew and in Mark have this whole idea of authority being there with the message that was being given. In the vineyard, we use the phrase that that Jesus was the word worker. He didn't just speak the words, he had the authority to proclaim things and change things because of what he said. It wasn't just a nice thing. When he says, You are forgiven, that's not just like, Oh, that's nice. Thank you. I, I feel a little bit better now. No, you were forgiven. You were forgiven. And if somebody tried to blame you for those things, it didn't matter anymore because you were forgiven. When he said, pick up your mat and walk, guess what? You could pick up your mat and walk. That's the profound thing about what Jesus was doing. He didn't just teach. He didn't just say, turn the other cheek. He didn't just say, yeah, pay your taxes whenever they're due. He had the authority to realize that these teachings were go to the core part of who you are created in the image of god and the way that we live that out matters it was reminding us of who we are and who our father is reminding us about what is possible in this world so why do i preach why do we preach i believe in the power of words i believe in truth i want to be like jesus and do what he did, and do it how he did it. I've got a video here here for us. Make sure that the, the audio' is up for it. And, and well, I'll talk to you in a few minutes.
1: What? All oh, you all think smoking kills. Let me tell you something. Do you know that the amount of people dying from diabetes are three times as many people dying from smoking? Yet if I pulled a snicker bar, nobody would say anything. (laughs) Do you know that the leading cause of lung cancer is not actually a cigarette. It's your DNA. You could smoke for years and nothing will ever happen to you. This whole war against smoking is just to restrict the farming of tobacco. Mr. Concert Chair, fellow Masters and Guests, I use these arguments, even though I just made them up, <laughs> with a group of my friends. And the results, five of them believed what I said. Two of them started smoking. (laughs) Words, when said and articulated in the right way, can change someone's mind. They can alter someone's belief. You have the power to bring someone from the slums of life and make a successful person out of them, or destroy someone's happiness using only your words. Does that seem a bit too good to be true? A simple choice of word can make a difference between someone accepting or denying your message. You can have a very beautiful thing to say, but say it in the wrong words and it's gone. I have a son who's four, and he had this bad habit of writing on the walls with crayons. And one evening, I walked into his room, and he's going at it, just writing and drawing and so on. And I said, hey, 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 hey. Are you stupid? (laughs) Don't you ever do that again. And guess what happened? He did it again. (laughs) Nobody likes to be threatened. Nobody likes to be intimidated. His pride would not allow it. He did it again just to spite me. A week later, I walked into his room and again, he's going at it. And this time he was even looking at me just, I came down and I said, sweetie, come here. Don't do that. You're a big boy now. And he never did it again. Because his pride wants him to be the big boy. (laughs) But most importantly, if you are a person who's a role model, if you're a person who's been admired, anything you say could be believed. Anything you utter could be taken as truth. My friend Nasser, he loved his father. Idealized his father. He would do anything to make him happy. But his father was the kind of person who was not easy to impress. And year after year, Nasser tried and his father was like, yeah. (laughs) Fourth year in college, Nasser got straight A's. And he thought to himself, this is it. This what will finally make my dad proud. He picked up the phone, he called his dad. Dad, I got straight A's. Are you proud? Please tell me you're proud, Father. Yeah, listen son, I'll have to call you back. I'm busy. I'm busy was the single sentence. That broke the camel's back. And he started drinking. Doing drugs. Hanging out with the wrong crowd. Now I so said, why? Why are you throwing your life away? If the one person in the world that I care about the most doesn't care, then then why should I? And one evening I got the phone call. NASAs in the emergency room. Drug overdose. I rushed to that hospital. I saw him on that bed. And I saw that machine go beep, beep, beep. And I saw doctors try to bring him back to life. that a single word could have saved this life. Words have power. Words are power. Words could be your power. You can change a life, inspire a nation, and make this world a beautiful place.
0: Biblically, we see the same thing. Proverbs 18:21 The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Preaching matters. What we say matters, the way we say it matters, the authority behind us matters. We see in the New Testament James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. With it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Words really have an amazing power the best way we have of lining up the synapses in our head with a reality that's outside of our head. And I mean this very med- med- medically, I, I, very physically. The synapses in our brains are affected by the words people throw at them. When you make a connection, when there's two thoughts that you have together and you make that connection, your brain is wired differently than before. If there's something that's lined up in my head and I express it to you in language, your synapses are now lining up the same way that mine are. Now, this is one of the hardest things. Like whenever you Google something, you're not lining up those synapses. You're making a jump. <laughs> you're jumping to the shortcut. You're, you're, you're just getting the results. Getting an answer doesn't actually do that work of making those connections for us. It's one of the things like if you, our teachers yelled at this in, in high school, right? If you use a calculator, you don't actually learn the stuff. It's kind of true. If you work through it bit by bit, if you understand why we do this each step of the way, why I have to divide, why I have to multiply, why I have to do this work at this stage of this, I'm getting shifted, I'm getting changed. My brain is wired differently because I'm going through the steps. It's not always about what comes out on the other end, sometimes it's about being formed, being shaped mirroring something that is coming down and speaking to us. The only class I dropped out in college was a theory of mathematics class. In day one, he gave us a multi-page proof of one plus one equals two. And he said, if you like this, you'll love this class. I did not. <laughs> I knew one plus one equals two without needing a multi-page proof on why. On but communication, preaching is an art, not a science. Some people use an outline. Some people use manuscripts. Some people go verse by verse. But I say this to people who preach here is that the best message is the one that people's hear. People need to hear the message. They need to reach into their lives and speak to something that's going on. You've had an ecstatic experience with God. Are we talking about things that don't apply to that? You want to understand God's will. Does this relate to that at all? Or is it just foreign words to you? Use humor, use stories, use hyperbole. Those are all things Jesus did. Psalm 119 is such an interesting psalm. It's an acrostic. It's mo- most likely it was used to teach kids the alphabet. We have a little bit of like the Bronze Age veggie tales, or, or, or maybe it's more like Dr. Seuss. I don't know. But uh, it, it's really interesting because it... it it has each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then it gives you some verses off of that. But every verse in it is about the beauty of God's Word. Every verse in this whole thing, teaching others how to write, teaching others about words, teaching others about the alphabet is a reflection on God's Word itself. And when you think about it that way, it's kind of really amazing. If you want to learn what words are, if you want to learn what communication is, again, the why behind it is because of who God is, and because he spoke, and therefore all of this is." So Nun is a character that looks a little bit like a backward C. It's the first letter of the word lamp, which is called ner. And uh, it's a bit like Yoda speak in Hebrew. So uh, that we see uh, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. The Hebrew is a lamp to my feet your word is, and a light to my path. So. It is actually, lantern is the, is the first word that we have here, lamp, um, but it's not just this one. So, I'm going to read this for us. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I've suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws, Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Every verse talks about the majesty of God's word. Every verse points the finger back to what God has said and what he has done. I mentioned before those ecstatic experiences of us. What do you do after you've had one of those? Often we try to replicate it, almost always without success. You can't make those experiences happen, or you try to find out what's behind it. I think preaching helps us to orient. It helps us to be hopeful, to be purposeful, to find the why behind those things that we've experienced. Preaching is the part of our service to do all the things you do when you encounter something magnificent. You want to point it out to somebody else, right? If, I've, if I see something, I, I, I want to share it. I want you to see it as well. Look at that sunrise. Did you see that? Do you see that animal that just came out of the woods? What do we do? We share those moments with each other, You experience something atypical, you experience something magnificent, and we want other people to share in that experience with us. It's one of the most human things. That's the heart of preaching. Have you seen my God? Do you understand his power? Leah giving a testimony earlier, that's the preaching of the word. Do you know what happens whenever God comes close? Do you know that you can be healed because he is our God? We try to make sense of it. We try and find an explanation. Give testimony, be an eyewitness, implore, and give an invitation. Preaching cannot be disconnected from the gospel. It cannot promote the things of this world like a politician. It cannot be an avenue for wealth at the expense of others. It cannot be a place of manipulation. It cannot be a place of deceit. That's not preaching. God is ultimately other from us. We are all of us God's strugglers, and we need ongoing clarification. We need ongoing redirection. We need help. And that's what this, hopefully, will be. I've not yet repeated a a sermon. I know many pastors do. I, I, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think I'm a good pastor or preacher in those ways because they've got a, a whole catalog of like really well-researched and documented things. I have to listen to what I think the Lord is saying to us now and connect the dot with what I find in the Word as I ask the Lord those questions. And I, I almost feel like sometimes I'm just that translator. I'm just trying to say, this is what's going on here. <laughs> what are you doing, Father? And how can I help stir that along? That's not a flex. That's… I think it sounds like it might be one of those humble brags. I don't think I'm a good pastor in many contexts. I think I'd be terrible at a mega church, not for many reasons. Like, I couldn't operate that way. I I am so dependent upon those little words that we get in pre-service prayer or in Sunday school that are just like, thank you, God. I know that the message is lining up with that. And I'm so grateful because I feel like I've got these things connected. So What? So what about all this stuff? Why am I talking about preaching for us? Because church, you need to know this. You need to know that the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the good news. The limitations of preaching are pretty apparent. People are resistant to it. Stop preaching at me, people say, when it's not even about the gospel. Preaching has a very bad image in the world. We're doing it in here to people who, by and large, already know, already believe, and already understand. Generally speaking, preaching separates words and authority. What made Jesus so amazing was his transition to doing this stuff. Like I said, you're forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. Stretch out your hand. And I don't want you to skip over that first example. I think about there's the scene, I don't, I don't even remember the movie. I don't think I've seen the movie, but you got Matt Damon and Robin Williams. And he's like got a traumatic childhood, and he says to him repeatedly, It's not your fault. And you hear it the first time, and you, you're like, Yeah, thank you. That's, that's a nice word. It's, it's not your fault. You repeat it. It's not your fault. No, no, it's not your fault. At a point in time, those words begin to hit a different part of your soul church you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. The worst thing that you've done, you're forgiven at this table. The blood of Jesus is for you. This is preaching. It brings us to a place to encounter him. Matthew 7, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as their teachers of the law. I want to leave you with this. We in the church right now, we need preaching, but those outside need it more. The why is different. I don't think they need to hear this message. (laughs) This is an insider message. This is for God's people. And that's why the how is very different. It's not door-to-door. It's not street preaching. Am I saying evangelism? Yes, but no. Preaching, meaning eyewitness testimony, I mean authority. I mean doing the stuff, bringing and embodying the incarnation of love, authority, with the good news, with the gospel being on the tip of our tongue as we speak it to those who need to hear it the most. That's not the job of any one of us on Sunday, but that's the job of every one of us the rest of the time. May we all be preachers of the gospel. May we all be word workers that we take the authority we have and the reality and the truth of the gospel in everything that we do, all the ways that we do it.